it's time to expand online. Hi, I'm Jamie Slutsky, and this is the podcast where we break down the tech and strategies that successful hands-on entrepreneurs just like you use to translate their services into online products. There is no fluff. There is no overwhelm. There is no shame. Let's get to it. It's time for you to expand online. Welcome to the Expand Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Sletsky, and this is episode number 199. I cannot believe that next week is going to be episode 200. But before we get to that, this is also our wrap up of the incredible founder series that we have been running here on the podcast. That started in episode 195. We are now in the final, the fifth episode in this series. And I have some great answers to some final burning questions that I know that you have. Before we get there, I want to remind you, this podcast is here to help you expand your music studio and music teaching business online. I know how much passion you have for music education and everything that I put out on the podcast and on social media and in my emails is designed to inspire, motivate, and help you move forward. But I do also know that there is a lot of material. There is a lot of stuff that you could be doing. There are a lot of places that you could be getting information from. And sometimes we just really can't do this alone. That's really what I'm here for. I am here to help you off the starting block, running through the adventure of creation and well into the launch and delivery of your programs. And while this series is primarily talking about the tools that you can use for your private lessons, I can tell you that what you do in private lessons can be extrapolated and pulled out and put into a group format, whether it is interactive group programs, um, an online course, a series of workshops, a single workshop, a membership site, or anything that leverages the one-to-many business model where you are the one and you are providing content and material to many I know that if that is something that you are interested in doing, that you are my kind of person. I would love to be part of your support system and help you throughout the process. Please click the link in the show notes for a connect call with me and download the guide, Make Money Teaching Music Online. It's not just a list. It gives you a lot of ideas to kind of get the ball rolling. So with that, Let's get into these final questions with our amazing founders. We've got Sam from Musi, Rebecca from Musicology, Mike from Rock Out Loud Live, and Eric from Blink Session Music. And let's start this one off with an absolute bang. I asked each of our founders if there was one misconception about their software that they would like to refute. This is such valuable information because what we hear online doesn't necessarily reflect the truth. The truth comes from the truth holder, and I am happy to bring that here. So in order, I'm going to share from Rebecca, then from Eric, then from Sam, and then from Mike. Well, I'd say that we're only for Apple products. So I'm a big Apple fan. I love um, the usability of it and the user friendliness. 
Um, I don't like the constraints of it, but that I'm learning why developers <laughs> don't like Apple now <laughs> after working with it. Um, but yeah, since we launched for iPad in April, you know, there's been a, a few rumors there that were only for Apple and which were not. So you can certainly use our platform on a Windows or Android device as well. It's too hard to switch to this because all the students and parents are used to using Zoom or Skype or whatever. Um, that is just not true because being a browser-based system, it, it makes it so much easier for your students. They don't have to download another piece of software. They don't have to worry about a lot of different things you do with an app-based system. Um, I think once you get in there and you see how easy it is, you're going to realize I should have done this a long time ago. I should have moved over to a system like this. I'd say one thing that's sort of important is that we've heard people making comments about security or open source or things like that. Um, and I think it's really important to sort of clear that stuff up is, you know, on, on Musi, everything is encrypted and stored in, in servers that you you know you can't get access to no open source does not mean open to the public um and muse is not an open source product it's it's closed source which means our, our company are the only people who can see the data related to the product we've built it it's ours it's not for other people to see or use or anything like that um so it's sort of important to to note that everything is incredibly secure it's very important to us we follow all the compliances and everything like that. But um, every product on the market uses open source technology somewhere in their product. Um, I just think it's important to mention that doesn't mean at all that your product is open to the public or anything like that, or that it's open to other developers. It just means that the, the thing you're using was built by a community of developers who don't necessarily work as a company. Um, and there's different types of open source. Um, but Musi is not an open source product. It's completely closed source. It's proprietary technology. Do I only get get one? <laughs> you know, th that's that's been the biggest challenge. Like I thought when, you know, when I came out with my platform and my competitors came out with that platform, I thought that the 300 million Zoom people that were doing their music lessons, I thought they were going to you know, and come in droves saying, Look what they've done for us, you know. And you know, it would be like that miracle on Thirty Fourth Street when Santa Santa Claus goes, "Ah, oh, go to Gimbals. They have that over there in Gimbals." I recommend my competitors all the time. In fact, people say to me, "Can you do this?" I'm like, "No, but Muzi could. Can you do that? No, but Musicology could." I do that all the time. Um, I hear so much. I get so much feedback from so many people and so many groups that know my competitors. I just don't know why. Um, it's not more of like a help each other out thing. And one, miscon one misconception I heard was that I have backers, financial backers. And I'm like, let me show, I think you said, do you have financial backing? I go, Jamie, let me show you my home equity line of credit that's maxed out. Let me show you all the cars I had to sell, the car I had to sell. My daughter, I got a car for when she graduated. And after I just had to continue with this, I had to sell it I, literally two months later. And she hated me, but I did. I have no financial backing. Uh, and I do want to also um, just bring to the attention that people said it's open source. Um, yeah, we use a portion of it, which is open source. And just for anybody that doesn't know what open source is, if you have an Android phone, 
that is open source. If you go on a website, 98% of websites are built with WordPress. That's an open source. There's nothing wrong with open source, ladies and gentlemen. However, we use it just for the video. If anybody knows my platform, you have to click a special button and that special button to get into my high definition, low latency, low latency mode is called enhanced audio recognition that redirects the audio to an entirely different server that it's not open source. And I'd be happy for you to just Google my patent, it's United States patent. You can Google it. You can see all the technology that we use. It's not open source. It's public to the world. So I, you know, I think I'm the only virtual music lesson platform that is patented by the United States. That patent started in 2018. And I've had some of my competitors um, say that uh, I just came out to make a buck during COVID. Um, and that's not true. I had a redirect into my patent that was actually put in in 2018 and let them hear my podcast in 2017. I feel like I'm defending myself all the time. I probably shouldn't have to, but it just shouldn't be like that. So Mike and Sam both talked about open source. And then Mike went on to talk about his patent, which is absolutely incredible. I asked our founders um, a little bit more about the architecture or some of the design decisions or technology decisions that they have used. Mike and I decided that what he has already said was sufficient. So you are only going to hear from Rebecca, Sam, and Eric in response to this. But trust me when I say Mike's response that he just gave is absolutely all that he needed to say on this topic. So again, let's hear from Sam, then Rebecca, and then Eric. Musi is a blend of proprietary and open source technology, as is almost every product in the world. Um, but everything is it's a closed system. So it doesn't mean anyone, like we said, no one has access to your, your information. Um, we use the fastest codecs. We've been around for a while as a company. We've tested many different products and services. Um, so we've been able to actually build a couple different versions of Musi in a way that we've been able to, everything is probably WebRTC. Um, that's sort of the basis of a lot of these web-based communication systems. Um, but there's different companies that do them. There's open source platforms that offer them, or there's closed source companies that you can pay for to use their services, or you could build your own. Um, so Musi is a blend. It's a blend of a whole bunch of different things. Um, and we, but fortunately for us, cause we've been around a while, we've tested all the different services that are in the industry and we've sort of mixed it to make it the best possible system for musicians. That's um, a really good question because that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that not all video conferencing platforms are built the same, right? So a lot of people think that, oh, okay, Zoom has put in these like buttons for enable original sound and all of a sudden it's for music, but that's not the case. Uh, they haven't built their foundation on um, a, a certain frame that needs to, um, because I'm not a developer, I don't have the techie answer for it, but they don't have the framework there. Um, they go through a server, um, that's an issue. So we went with a straight peer-to-peer -peer connection. Um, we use a global call line that we actually have to pay for. And um, the reason why we went with this more expensive route was because then it's globally supported. So when you go with something that's on a foundation that's free, um, it's, you have to like get up at two in the morning and maintain that yourself. 
So we don't want to have to do that. We hired a company to do that for us. And um, it just makes for a really great connection throughout the world. We don't have to rely on servers all over the place. Um, everything's already in place globally. So, you know, you can be in Malaysia and talking to somebody in Quebec and you're not going to have a, a terrible connection. When we were developing this, um, it took about, I think, well, April, we started talking about this. We started developing in October. So what is that, like seven months or something, eight months? It took that long to really like do the research and put the plan together for this. And um, I guess the great thing about hiring um, a development team for that is that, you know, they already have the system in place that they do for their clients anyways, is they implement research in there for um, a long period of time and they explore all the options and then they run it by the customer. So um, there were definitely like, I think there was about four different like call providers that we could have used when building this and we decided to go with the one that we went with um, just because of its reputation and um, that has been a, a great choice for us. I'm not supposed to name who they are because the developers told me not to. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's, you know, it's like a, a call provider that's trusted by Fortune 500 com companies. So, um, you know, that that was a, a, a big sell for us, too. And um, there there's always new things coming out with this company, too, that we can use, which is really fantastic. And we haven't had a problem with them at all because, you know, like it's a team of, of 13 developers. Right. So and they all do different things like one person specializes in MIDI another person specializes in UI and UX another person specializes in web front-end development another one is web back-end development you know and you have all these like great minds that come together to like work together as a team with my direction and the teachers around the world's feedback and it's just a really nice system as far as the you know, what What's the tech um, framework of Blink Session Music? Um, you know, I've already explained a little bit about we we currently are a 100% browser-based solution. And now you might think, well, what is that? What's the difference between that and using Zoom or using Google Meet? Well, uh, Google Meet or Google Hangouts, those are also browser-based. Uh, even the thing we're recording this um podcast on is browser-based. Browser Sometimes you might think, well, how do I know the difference between, you know, the quality of audio that could be available in one tech versus another? I think it's important to understand that, you know, when you're doing online lessons, you know, I'm going to get away from my the software a little bit here, my our software. When you're doing online lessons, you're not, you're not recording an album, right? You know, you're not your students, think about everything from the perspective of your students. I always tell this to the therapy side of our company. Um, there, everybody is so focused, you know, whether the therapists or music teachers on the technology being used, but your student is basically going to get there one minute before on whatever device they have. So no matter, unless you did a massive amount of training to your students and gave them their own device. It doesn't matter how how good everything you have is if their technology is poor. 
right? I say that because any ton of technology that we're using, it, they're, I, they're consumer-based technologies, right? These are not, we're not using, uh, you know, $1,000 condenser microphones and, um, you know, direct fiber optic connections between homes, right? So we didn't, I think we, as a community, we need to be a little uh, more flexible in terms of how we think about it. Um, that said, uh, the most important thing that we've incorporated into our software is making it easy to tweak audio settings to what you want to do. I, I said that in our earlier question, but when you log in and you click microphone, you can add up to three audio sources. There's no audio system that allows that because most people don't need that, but we've made it easy to do that. So you don't have to have that virtual mixer, right? Um, we've made it easy to turn off noise suppression, right? We've made it easy. It's right there in the system. Now, can you do that in Zoom? Yeah. Can you do that in Skype? Uh, I, th I think there is a setting, but it's buried way down in there. So all of this said, like, the, the the audio quality differences between a FaceTime or Zoom or whatever, if you get it set up right, are not going to be that that much better or different because we're using consumer electronics. But in, what we believe is that we want to make the tweaking of it but easier for you to do so that in a real world situation, you're not having to tell your client, okay, well, go to this deep menu and turn on this setting that is buried way down in there and then do this and that. So... That's kind of how we think of things is we think beyond just the technology. We think to the application of the technology. I seriously love those answers because I opened the question in such a way that it could go in so many different directions. And they absolutely did. The next question I have for our founders, which is our second to last question, is how they integrate or can be used with other software services that you might be using. Um, and if they use the technology called API, which is an application protocol interface, I believe is what it is. I haven't looked it up in a little while. Essentially what an API is, is it's a way for technology to talk to each other. If you've ever heard of the company called Zapier, they are an integration specialist. And what they do is they take these APIs that companies provide, these public APIs, and allow different pieces of software to connect between them. Essentially, in this question, I am asking our founders how their software can work in conjunction with any other pieces of software that you might already be using in your studio. So it's integrated basically with a URL where people sign up for Rock Out Loud Live and they subscribe. They have a custom URL, uh, very much the way they add Zoom to my music staff or Teacher Zone. My, you, know, they, you could just basically insert that into the link. So if you have a subscription, you would take that URL, which is custom to you, and then you would insert that into your calendar invite, the way you would do with my music staff or Teacher Zone. Um, we do have APIs. Those are custom for people like Tanara, um, they have our custom API and we work closely with their development department, um, but that's integrated just with Tanara. It's not public source yet. On Musi, we don't have any APIs necessarily that you can plug and play, but we've actually worked with companies before where the objective was to create an API and then found out that it actually wasn't really necessary. So in this example, we were, we were working with funds and we decided that it actually made more sense to just put the link to your Musi uh, account in the in the invite, and then you just simply get the invite from Fonz, click the link, and you're logged into your lesson. 
So there's that's way easier than having to build out a whole you know set of tools. Um, it works that that same setup basically works with any scheduling platform you might be using because the one thing we don't do is billing. So billing and scheduling, I think that should be left as a separate entity. So for us, we you know recommend you use something like funds. Um, and then you can use the, just literally the link you get from the lesson and that goes right, right in the students just log in and they're into their lesson. When people ask about integrations, the first thing I always say is it's not about what you're integrating. It's, uh, I'm sorry. It's not about whether it integrates with something. It's what are you integrating? So, um, we, and it, it, to cover the basis of integration, we do integrate with Stripe for our payment processor. So very simple. If you want to take credit card payments in the system, you just set up a Stripe account. We're ready to go. Um, we, on our product roadmap, we'll be building a Google Calendar integration. So, um, um, and then we have a few others, um, but we, we on our pro plan, you, as you, if you go to our website, blinksessionmusic.com and, and look through our feature list, you'll probably see that probably 90% of what you're going to need in your, in your business is already covered by what we have. So the idea of, well, I need to integrate with this, that, or other, you don't even need to in our system. Um, uh, you can, it, it will cover most of what you need. We don't have um, a public API at this point. It's certainly something that we can explore down the road, but we have um, many more high priority um, features that we would like to implement. But um, teachers have uh, used our um, platform, like the just using the web address in like my music staff, you know, for in locations to connect to their rooms. Um, I think Jocelyn in her podcast was mentioning Acuity that she uses that. So, um, you know, there, there's certain ways that teachers can just uh, get around and do workarounds in the meantime. The API is not the end all and be all. And the reason why I brought that question and included it here is because I wanted you to understand that these softwares are continually being developed. And when the founders and their teams determine that there is a need for something, they are 100% going to do it as long as it's in alignment with their vision for their software. My final question to our founders is, is there something else that I didn't ask that you would like to share? So here we go. That's a great question. Um, what else would I like to share? You know, I mean, I think the one thing that I tell people all the time is when we first started this, it didn't look anything the way it does. And it's growing every single day. I think right now we are averaging 375 new users a month. And as those new users come in, they are requesting things that heck we didn't even think of. And we listen. And that's so important. And as the, the community grows, so does the platform. What I see in the next six to 12 months is not going to look at, at all what it looks like now. We have some great things coming along. So I think it's important to know that, you know, when we're small and we can pivot and we don't have to worry about, you know, the red tape and, you know, the people you know, getting approvals for, we can do this. I think it's just so much more flexibility to create a better platform every single month week, day, year. So I think that's so important to know that what you see now is only going to get better. And I think that goes across all of the competitors in this space because, you know, we're nimble enough to just do what we need to do, move to the next project, hear some more feedback, do what we're going to do, move to the next. And that's what's so great about it. Yeah, you know, like uh, I'm just uh, it's um it's been a, like a wild year, right? Like going from being a piano teacher 
to um, now learning how to be the, the CEO of a tech startup is like a totally life-changing experience. And, um, and I'm really proud to be sort of, you know, heading this, this project and um, changing people's lives and um, really, you know, bringing engagement to online lessons and really a tool that students can, kids can use. It's, it's mostly like, I, I like to gear this towards kids that are 12 and under um, it's been tested on small children. It's so user-friendly that, um, you know, they don't need a parent beside them to press buttons. It's all icon-based. There's no words on it. So it's easy for a child to understand. And it just really, um, it, it changes the whole landscape of teaching online. Uh, we would love for anybody to go to blinksessionmusic.com, um, sign up for the free account, get going on it and give us any feedback on how we can make it better. Um, uh, and just keep up with us. And uh, we, we, are, we want to develop that community going forward. And so we want you to be a part. We want to be a resource for you guys out there in the music learning world. And so uh, keep in touch. One of the important things is that Musi is a small team, but we've been a family run business now for six years. Um, we've, this is our third product. We've built tons of technology for s- schools, studios, students, musicians, our first product, the very first client we had was Berkeley. So uh, to you know, just because we're a small company doesn't mean we can't handle thousands and thousands of customers as we already do. So I think it's really important. And the nice thing about Musi, because we're small, we update fast. We move quick. There's no lag time between the brains of the operation. It's a very seamless, cohesive organism now. Um, and I think it's important to stay small. And when you do, as you do expand, it's being very careful you're picking the right people for your teams. Um, and it's not just the two of us, but me and my dad run most of the business. And there we have it. The wrap up of our five-part founder series. I know that this series is going to live on and that this software is going to change and it's going to evolve. I have a blog post that came out today as of the time of this recording that takes everything that we've had in these five episodes and brought it all together in another format. So you've got the podcast episodes to listen to and then the blog post, which is written form so that you can compare and contrast and make the decision as to which platform you want to bring into your studio. As I already said, you don't need to look at all of these tools. Pick one and go with it and see if you can make it work. Because the sooner that you have a platform that you feel confident teaching with, the more opportunities you're going to bring to your students and into your studio. And that's what I want for you, for your online studio to thrive now and well, well into the future. And please, Share this podcast series with friends and other music teachers that you know. They will appreciate it, and so will I, and so will our founders. Don't be a stranger. Connect with me on social media and book a call with me using the link in the show notes. I have greatly enjoyed presenting this series to you. And with that, let's connect again next week for episode number 200.